I'm excited that we're talking about communion on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has done so much for you and I. But one of the things it did for sure was increase our opportunities to approach God, to receive forgiveness, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to be in his presence. You know, in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement happened once a year. So everybody would trek to the, to the place of sacrifice, the place of worship, and a priest would sacrifice something. And only on that day could they actually be in the presence of God. But then when Jesus died and was resurrected, the church was birthed. And it kind of, for some of us, the, at once a year went to every Sunday, but it's not supposed to stop there. I'm grateful that we don't have to do it once a year. Now we can do it every Sunday. But one of the things I think God's doing in this quarantine is people in our church are meeting with God and in the presence of God every day, every single day. And although I miss you and I miss Sundays, that's been a beautiful thing to hear about and experience. But what I really believe revival is about is not just when we commune with the presence of God once a year or once a week on Sundays or even once a day, but communion with God, revival is when moment by moment we are walking with the Lord. The Bible says actually in him we move and exist and have our being. So when Jesus, the Holy Spirit is leading us from moment to moment, we are in revival. And I believe that's what God wants during this time. I want to share a message with you called, This Too Shall Pass Over. All this week, we've been celebrating and honoring the Passover. And that story comes from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, when God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God had called Moses to set them free and God sent plagues um, God didn't send the coronavirus, so just make sure we're being clear. But God sent a plague because Egypt refused to let his people go. And this, there's this story where people were locked in their homes and the plague passed over them because of the blood of the lamb they sacrificed. So we're going to read this passage of scripture, and I know you're going to be encouraged. Exodus chapter 12, the heading starts off the first Passover. Verse 1 says, While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. That's encouraging to somebody. He was switching the calendar, if you will, and he was saying, this year needs a do-over. Come on, is anybody with me on that one? You thought January 1st, 2020 is going to be fire. And God said, hey, from this day, the Passover, this is now going to be the first day of the year. I believe spiritually God's given some people a do-over, if you will. And then he says, announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. And listen to this beautiful verse. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. That is a beautiful picture of what community really looks like. And then it says, divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Defects had to be pure and unblemished. Sound familiar? Just like Jesus. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. 
That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread without yeast. And then it gives a few other instructions. And then we're going to jump to verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Okay, got it. Wear your sandals. I'm not wearing sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Listen to this. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. And this sounds super harsh, but God, a couple chapters earlier, had told the Egyptians to let his people go, let his firstborn children go, and their punishment for keeping the firstborn children of God enslaved. He says, I'm going to take your firstborn children from you because you've taken my firstborn children from me. So it sounds harsh, but this is the lengths God had to go through to free his people. And then verse 13 says, excuse me, verse 12 continues with, I will execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. So then putting the blood on the doorpost represented the God they served. And every other house that didn't have the blood on the doorpost had to rely on their gods to protect them. That is very important that this was not about bringing down people. This was about bringing down gods. And if you're like me, sometimes I can let things, even the blessings of God, church buildings, church services, finances, I kind of let them creep up into the same place that God is supposed to be. And every once in a while, God will choose a season to let everyone know that he alone is God. And this is one of those times. Verse 13 says, but hey, you need to put the blood, blood of the doorpost because it will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, not your faith, not your belief, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this is encouraging during a time of a pandemic. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. And this is a day to remember each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. This was the first Passover. And when I was first reading it, I always knew that the Passover involved belief, but I want you to write this down. The Passover involved belief and consumption. Not only did they sacrifice the lamb, but they consumed it. And I really want you to know as your pastor that our church is filled with belief. But oftentimes we believe in Jesus while consuming fear, believe in Jesus while consuming greed, believe in Jesus while consuming anxiety. And this was about not just belief, but consumption. We're going to get to that a bit later as we take communion as a church family. I want you to ask yourself this question, maybe not now, but at the end, what are you consuming? What are you taking in every single day? This would be one of the markers of a meal that that freed people from a plague. Sharing a meal together with their family freed them from their plague as long as the blood was on the doorpost. This is powerful. The next time we would see a sacrifice like this happen in the book of Exodus was Exodus 24 verses 9 through 10. And, and God gave a lot of instructions. A bunch of animals were sacrificed. And the Bible says that he made Moses splash the blood on the altar, which I believe represents the cross. Splash the blood on the people, which represents that we are forgiven. And then it says after that happened, watch this. Verse 9 says, Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain of God. There they saw the God of Israel 
Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, they were in the presence of God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in the presence of God. So we had communion in the home and we had communion in the presence of God, eating together. The sad thing is that this would never happen again in the Old Testament. The communion at home would, the Passover celebration would, but never again would God's people share communion in God's presence because they would be led into the wilderness, they would disobey God, and then God had to wait to send his one and only son so again people could have communion in God's presence. Matter of fact, shortly before Jesus died, his disciples would have communion in the presence of God with Jesus himself. And I think this is important for us to understand that communion is not just a religious activity. It's not just something that should happen once you pass all, all the tests. Communion is a sign that we've been forgiven and that we can have relationship with Jesus. This is important for you to write down. Um, and I know maybe you don't have a pen, but maybe take a photo of it on your phone. I want to give you a few thoughts about communion. Communion is Jesus welcome, welcoming each of us into family. Communion is Jesus welcoming each of us into family. Second thing I want you to write down, taking communion reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. Taking communion honors and invites the presence of God to heal, forgive our sins, and unify us as believers. What Jesus did at what is popularly known as the Last Supper is the wine he took the wine and said, this represents my blood that will be shed for your sins so that you'll have forgiveness. This is the bread that represents my body. And he, he shared it with the group of believers, kind of like we're getting ready to do in just a couple of moments. And this would have been a profound thing. Them having communion with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because remember, this would not have happened for thousands of years since in Exodus 24 when God's people, the elders, sat on the mountain of God and shared a meal in God's presence. So this would have been special. One of the moments, people ask me all the time, if I could go back in time, uh, what, what moment would I love to be a part of? I would have loved to be at that communion moment with Jesus. But I want to give you something interesting. Um, it wasn't just all Jesus' best buddies there at that communion table. One of the people there was his betrayer. Judas. And the Bible tells us during this communion meal, all the disciples were sitting there having a conversation. And, and Jesus says, one of you here will betray me. And all the disciples started like looking around. Is it me? Is it me? And, and Jesus said something interesting. Now remind you, I want to remind you, this is a communion moment with our Lord and Savior. And he said, the one I pass the bread to will betray me. Jesus gave the first taste of communion to his betrayer and his enemy, representing the forgiveness that you and I can have in this moment. The reality is when we take communion, we're not just doing a religious thing. We're reminding ourselves that we have been forgiven. We're reminding ourselves that no matter what we have done, if Jesus was here, 
if the worst we are, we might be the first person he gives the bread to. I, that has got to encourage somebody right now. I don't know what you've done in your life, but you've never set up Jesus to be killed, okay? You've never set him up to be killed. That's what Judas did. And yet Judas was the first one to get the bread. So maybe you're sitting there and you're like, whoa, I, I'm, not, I'm not there with communion. You are the perfect person to grab the bread first. I hope that encourages you um, as a new believer. I think the fact that Jesus gave the communion to his betrayer is important because I feel so many times I've betrayed Jesus and I've had these moments where I feel like I was the first one he was given the bread to. And when you are forgiven, you can let people in on this wonderful story of forgiveness. I remember one time I was asked to go pray for some um, people who were in prison and I was asked to be a prison chaplain for a day. And I remember going there, prayed up, expectant for all that God was going to do. And so I'm walking along the aisle of the prison chaplain and I'm praying for this particular guy. And um, it was amazing and it was powerful. Another gentleman asked me for prayer and it was powerful. And same thing continued for about 20 minutes, just powerful moments praying for people. And then I walked past this one prison cell and I noticed that it was a, um, a, a white guy that had devil horns tattooed on his head. And when I walked past his prison cell, when his hands were on the bars, he had swastikas um, tattooed on his knuckles, representing that he was a white supremacist. So you know what I did? I kept it moving. <laughs> I walked right past that brother's cell. And I remember this like it was yesterday. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, I didn't walk past you when you were in the prison of your mind and in your soul and your thoughts and depression. Turn around and go back. And I remember um, walking up to the front of that prison cell and I remember not wanting to pray for him, if I'm being honest, because I knew that he had been conditioned in his environment to hate somebody like me. And I asked him, did he want prayer? And um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like, not from you. Um, and so then I said, well, Lord, I did my job. You asked. And so I walked off and I literally almost started to walk off again and then turned around one last time. And the Lord told me to ask the gentleman about his daughter. And I said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for your daughter. How is she? And I remember he put his head down and he got really down. And he said, I haven't seen her, um, you know, because of some of the stuff I've done. Her, her mom won't let me see her. And he told me where she lived. And I said, what's her name? And he told me. And I asked him, could we pray for her? And uh, we prayed for her. And I remember when we were done praying and I said, amen, he looked up and uh, he had tears in his eyes. And he asked me a question and he basically said, why would you pray for me if you know what I'm about? And I told him the story of Jesus and what Jesus had done for my life uh, and in my life. And um, I remember when I'm telling him that story, I remember something in his eyes lit up. And I said, you can have that kind of relationship with Jesus too. And I believe that your relationship with Jesus will allow you to restore things with your daughter. Do you want that? And he said, yes, with tears in his eyes. And I remember through the prison cell, I grabbed this man's hands with the swastika on it. 
and by God's grace, I led him to the Lord. And I really believe if you truly understand who Jesus is and you truly understand that people like that, the people that you can tend to not like, the people that you can tend to feel need punishment, it's people like that, that if Jesus was there, he'd be the first one to give them the bread. And I really believe as a church, when we take communion as a church family, not only are we supposed to remember all that Jesus has done for us, but we are also have to have, we're also supposed to have a heart postured that the people who have hurt us would be the first people we would pass the bread to. And so I'm gonna pray for you right now, one of two things, that if you feel like you are a Judas, you understand Jesus loves you so much, he wants to pass you to red first. And if you feel like you've encountered a Judas, that God would heal your hard heart, that you might be a person who would give them the bread first.